In a conversation this week during a visit, I assured my new friend that folks are not going to church because they are saints. Maybe some of you, but, but I promise that, that most of us are coming to church not because we're saints, but because we are broken. There is something in our lives that is not whole, and we are seeking healing and restoration and a return to wholeness if we have an inclination of what wholeness is like. We hear a lot about reconciliation, especially in regards to racial reconciliation. And to be reconciled relationally generally means to be made friendly again or to be brought back into harmony. As the people on the Episcopal Church's task force for racial reconciliation dug deeper into their work, they found that to seek reconciliation would be difficult because there had not been a time when the races were ever in full, good relationship. There had never been wholeness. There wasn't anything to be reconciled back to, and instead, they changed the name of their group, indicating the work that they were and actually are doing, truth-telling, reckoning, and healing. They don't call it anything about reconciliation, but in this kind of work, when we get to the core of our being individually and collectively and get to a place of health and wholeness, that is where we find our reconciliation with God and with one another. And this is our holy work. And if we ever wonder if we're on the right track in our work as Christians, we can check to see if there's a story that compares in our scriptures. The same can probably be said if we think we're going off the rails, and we can find those stories in scripture too. But for today, we'll focus on the merit of doing the work of truth-telling, reckoning, and healing. And our lectionary serves up some wonderful examples. In the reading from the book of Genesis, we have the reunification of Joseph and his brothers. It's focusing on the immediate family and that moment in the story. Joseph can't take it anymore. He's got to reveal his truth. And, and even though Joseph sends out everybody in the room, Everyone in and around the vicinity of Pharaoh's household, they all hear it. The agony of it. The release of it. And Joseph proclaims who he is, and his next question is about his father. The one whom he knew without a doubt loved him. And while the truth-telling work processes through Joseph in this wave of release, how do those brothers feel? Are they ready to engage? Are they happy to see him, to be faced with the truth? No, not at all. And they're unable to answer him. And in fact, it says that they're dismayed at his presence. It might be an understatement to say that they're uncomfortable in the moment, but truth bombs are aptly named because of the discomfort that they bring. But after the truth-telling, or at least wading deeper into the truth, if there's persistence and perseverance, we can get to the reckoning stage. And Joseph persists, reassuring or maybe reminding his brothers that it is him. Remember the, the one they sold into slavery? 
And there's a whole lot of truth yet to be told, stories to share, but Joseph kind of fast tracks them into acknowledging their feelings, their self-judgment in relation to all that has transpired. And even more, Joseph emphasizes the present moment for them so they have to grapple with the fact of the famine, of Joseph's important place in the house of Pharaoh, and how God's will has prevailed favorably for Joseph, despite his brother's best efforts to ensure his demise. So maybe it's not the brothers who are reckoning with anything. Maybe this is mainly focused on Joseph's perspective, but at least we have a view of the work that they are doing. And when what has been done is faced truthfully and the present moment presents itself and is reckoned with, and then the path toward healing can appear. And Joseph names for his brothers that they can see him now, that they know that it is him who speaks to them, and he urges them to tell their father of all that has come of him and all that they've seen. For, for Joseph, his healing lies in being in full relationship with his brothers and ultimately being restored to relationship with his father. And whereas we don't have evidence that Joseph ever had a good relationship with his brothers, we do know that Jacob loved Joseph. And Joseph's relationship with his brothers can be healed. And maybe it is with the the witness that we have of the, the tears and the kisses and the conversation. Joseph's relationship with his father has a chance to be fully reconciled and maybe made all the more meaningful because the brothers went through those stages of truth-telling and reckoning and healing. There's transparency in what had happened that caused the fracture in the beginning. And the more we get at the root of our disconnect from God and from one another, the better the chances of our long-lasting well-being and full restoration into who God created us to be in the first place. So this flow of truth-telling and reckoning and healing, you all are going to remember that, truth-telling, reckoning, and healing works well for Joseph, but what about in the case of the Canaanite woman? What about in a story where it sounds like Jesus is not exactly filling the role of the son of the most compassionate one? In staff meeting this week, and I'll give a wink at Dan, it was pointed out that this story often makes the preacher feel like they need to apologize for Jesus, for being rude and dismissive, if not outright prejudiced. But I don't think I need to apologize for Jesus here. Just as with Joseph's trials and tribulations, God's plan will prevail, even through the discomfort, whether we're in the story or whether we're in the pews. So a truth revealed at this point in the gospel, according to Matthew, is that there are those at the time who are part of God's chosen people and those who are decidedly not, the classic us and them. Naming the Canaanite woman as such marks her as an outsider, yet it is that outsider who is calling upon Jesus with hope. And Jesus doesn't answer right away. There's silence. And the response of the disciples is to send her away because surely, Jesus, you know how annoying and distracting and unwelcome she is. But I wonder, does 
Was Jesus waiting for the disciples to reveal their thoughts and feelings out loud? Then Jesus responds to his disciples, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What if we've moved from the truth-telling to the reckoning? What if Jesus' response is a question and not a statement about their tradition? Because remember, in the Greek, there's no punctuation. That could have been an exclamation mark. It could have been a question mark. So what if we read it as Jesus saying, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Think of the, the crowds who have been seeking Jesus, the crowds that are yet to come, the thousands that will come. He knows, Jesus knows the, the place of their birth, their hometown, their hearts, their sins, but we don't have evidence of checking documentation or baptismal records or circumcision or bank accounts before the healing commences. The, the woman, the Canaanite woman, knows the power of Jesus, and she must have seen something and the look in his eyes. And I imagine Jesus holding the eye contact with her and she kneels before him, Lord, help me. And keeping that eye contact with her, the compassion of the Son of God illuminated in his being. And do you think the words were for her or for those around him trying to uphold that fortress of tradition that would exclude those who sought true healing? Reckon with the doctrine, the tradition, the dogma that claims it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. And listen to the voice of one crying out that even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Because she will not, and she is not, belittled or abandoned by the one whose mercy knows no boundaries. And Jesus is not one to exclude or dismiss those who seek love and health and wholeness for themselves or for others. And of course her daughter is healed instantly. Great is the woman's faith. Great is God's mercy. And as we continue in our faithful work to bring about beloved community to manifest heaven on earth, we too can participate in the truth-telling and the reckoning to benefit our healing and hopefully even make way for reconciliation. We know how good and pleasant it is for us to live together in unity, but can we imagine that on a larger scale? Because I think that it's the hope of the ultimate beloved community, big C, big B, big C, beloved community. I think that's the dream for us all, and I think that's the scope of God's love and embrace for us. God loves us. We are loved. And united in Love, we are all one in God, and that is our health and our wholeness and our ultimate reconciliation. Amen.